Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Valero Texas Open 2023. It is the week before the Masters, and the Valero Texas Open is traditionally the tournament that leads us into uh, Masters week. So this one should be a pretty fun one. The field is a little bit disappointing. Uh, I guess coming off of the match play, there's a lot of guys that played a lot of golf last week. And so I think you just got a lot of the top names that are just skipping this event in favor of, you know, an extra week of prep for the Masters, which quick side note, I know the match play event is going away and... I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because I really do enjoy watching it on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday when there's all these matches going on and it's just whip around coverage. Uh, but by the time Sunday rolls around and there's only two matches and one of them is kind of meaningless, um, it just kind of gets a little stale. I don't know. I think there might be a better way to do the Sunday matches, but I really will miss the event as a whole because of you know what it does provide on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's definitely a fun change of pace to do it. Now, I will say I had an absolutely terrible week on DraftKings for the match play. Did pretty good with my picks at Corrales, but the match play, I just really struggled. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of guys out of the group stage, um, and the guys that I did get, did get out of the group stage were highly owned guys like Scheffler and like Cam Young. So um, anyway, we're on to this week at, you know, the Valero Texas Open, and we got next week coming up, which is Augusta National for the Masters. So, this week, we will be previewing the Texas Open here on the podcast. Um, we will be doing our normal breakdowns, whether you're here for DFS betting or one and done, you will hear all that broken down here on today's episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed, y'all. I will be uploading an episode tomorrow night that is on this Saturday's Final Four DFS action for college basketball. So, you know, one last grasp of March Madness DFS. Uh, we will be uploading that Tuesday night. And then next week, we're going to have a lot of Masters content coming your way as well. So make sure you hit that subscribe button on the podcast. You'll be notified when new episodes drop. So everything that you need to know for the Masters, you will get next week. All right, so that kind of does it for the introduction. We are going to break down the course. We are going to you know, profile individual golfers here at this event, and then we are going to talk about one and done strategy. So um, let's go ahead and kick things off by talking about TPC San Antonio. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. <laughs> All right, so the Valero will be played at TPC San Antonio, uh, which it has been played at for the last decade and a half, give or take. Uh, and it is kind of like your standard PGA Tour course. Like it's very similar to like any other TPC course, in my opinion. There's not a whole lot of defining features that really stand out aside from some short game areas, which we're going to talk about. Um, but it is a par 72. It is 7,400 yards. So it is, you know, uh, in the top 10 in length on the PGA Tour out of the course that are played normally. 7,400 yards is pretty long. Uh, and the main reason that it is long is because it does not feature really reachable par fives. Uh, most of the par fives on this course, two for sure, possibly one more, are going to be out of reach in two shots for most players here uh, at this event. And then the par threes themselves are very long. Um, there is one mid-length par three that I believe is in the 170s, uh, give or take. And then uh, all the others are well over 200 yards. So being able to succeed at long par threes is going to be a, a factor here. Now, TPC San Antonio is a Greg Norman design. Uh, and I know that the PGA Tour has kind of got their beef with Greg Norman, you know, over, um, you know, the live tour and all that going on. Uh, but there are two other uh, Greg Norman designs that are played at regularly on the PGA Tour. And that is at Mayacoba uh, and Vedanta, um, the Mexico Open uh, for 
Vedanta. Um, so if you want to compare those two courses, you can, but I, I don't think they're great comparisons. Those are tropical past pollen green courses um, that are resort courses, just not really the same style as TBC San Antonio. Now, I already mentioned that TBC San Antonio is a long golf course. It's also really hard to hit greens at. It ranks second on the tour in terms of difficulty in greens and regulation percentage, trailing only Riviera Country Club, home of the Genesis Invitational. And that is largely because the fairways here are pretty narrow. They're kind of hard to hit and they're very tree-lined, but they're not really forested. Like if you miss the fairway, you might have a little bit of tree trouble, but it's not like you're just going to be sitting there like in the woods having to hack out. Like there, there's windows, there's lanes where you can get through these trees. Now, the rough at this course is also not thick. Um, so really missing the fairway, if you're able to keep it out of the trees, but like just in the rough, you're not going to face that much of a penalty. It's kind of weird. Um, but the fairways and greens themselves do play pretty firm and fast. Uh, and this course does have a lot of exposure to the wind. So, uh, you know, it's not really what you would expect from, you know, San Antonio, Texas, but there is a lot of wind that tends to happen in this course. And there can be a big difference in waves. Um, so it will be probably a pretty good idea to check the weather on Wednesday or early Thursday to see if there is going to be one wave of golfers the morning or the afternoon that is going to have a wave advantage because that can happen at this course. All right, so in terms of comp courses that we can compare to this one, I think in terms of layout, TPC Twin Cities uh, fits the bill pretty well, just as your standard TPC course with a little bit of water. Um, you're going to be swinging a lot of driver at this course. Even though it is tight, there's not a whole lot of holes where you're going to have to lay up, and because of the length, you're going to have driver in your hand most of the time. I think TPC Twin Cities kind of you know is a good comparison for that. I think TPC Scottsdale has a little bit of that as well. I actually really like looking at Corrales Golf Club, home of the Corrales Punta Cana last week, because not only is it from last week, but it's also a long golf course. It's also a very windy golf course. So I really don't um, have a problem with checking Corrales as well. And I also think that Texas golf courses have some correlation. Colonial in Dallas, um, actually Fort Worth, I believe, has the long par threes. Um, that really match up well here with uh, TBC San Antonio. And then Memorial Park in Houston, I think is actually the best comparison. So the short game areas that I said I was going to mention, this course, TBC San Antonio, features a lot of raised greens or elevated greens that are above the fairway or, you know, kind of the pitching area, I guess, that you're hitting from. And so what that creates is it creates a lot of short game runoff areas where if you miss the green, it's going to roll down a little hill and into, you know, a patch of grass or, you know, a patch of rough that you're going to have to chip from there onto the green from. That is very similar to what you see at Memorial Park at Houston. It is also very similar to what you see at Riviera Country Club. So I think the Riviera actually fits as a course comp as well. It also features tight fairways. It also features um, those runoff areas. It's also pretty long. And um, I think the green surface is different. This one is a Poa Trivialis overseed. I would not describe Riviera as that at all. Um, so I do think that there is a natural comparison for Memorial Park and for Riviera for this golf course. Now, in terms of, you know, which golfers we're going to target, we want to prioritize driving accuracy. You have to be able to hit greens here if you want to win. So when you're looking at stats, I really want to look at strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach, not necessarily strokes gained off the tee because of length, but because of being able to put it in play and keep it in play. And we also want guys who have shown an ability to play in the wind. Um, you know, being and having good performances at the British Open, the Scottish Open, Corrales, Bermuda, courses like that that we know are susceptible to wind will score points this week in my book. And honestly, 
I really think in other trades, you're going to have to have a short game. If everybody's going to be missing the greens, then I want the guys who are going to be able to get up and down from these short game areas and get themselves pars when others aren't going to be able to do so. So I think that is another stat that matters is strokes gain short game. And then lastly, Texas guys tend to do well at this course, whether they were born in Texas or whether they were Longhorns by, you know, study. Um, all those guys tend to play well here. You know, we know Jordan Spieth won this event in 2021, but there's a lot of Texas guys in this field. Bo Hostler, Ryan Palmer, Kramer Hickok, Pearson Cootie, Dylan Fratelli, Doug Gim, and Cole Hammer. So there's definitely a lot of guys in that category of just guys that are, you know, Texas natives or Texas Longhorns that tend to play well at this event. All right, so let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then we're going to break down the individual golfer profiles. So one thing that I forgot to mention when discussing the course, but I do feel is relative to mention, is the juxtaposition of this event on the calendar. This is the week right before the Masters. So anyone who is currently not qualified for the Masters uh, could play their way into the field next week with a win here this week at TBC San Antonio. Uh, here's looking at you, Ricky Fowler. If you don't want to miss the Masters, you really need to win this week. So that's definitely a strong narrative coming in. JJ Spawn actually played his way into the Masters by winning this tournament last year as a heavy underdog. Um, and he really played well at Augusta. So I definitely think that that's something to watch for this week is, is anybody going to play their way into the field next week? It's definitely going to be an interesting storyline to track over the weekend. Now, let's talk about the individual golfers. So at the top of the betting board, the DFS board, every board this week is Tyrrell Hatton. He is simply the best golfer in the field, in my opinion. He's coming off of a runner-up at the players and a fourth at the Arnold Palmer in the past month, and he fits the profile well for this course. He's a great ball striker who does have an above-average short game, so he is going to be able to hit greens and he is going to be able to get up and down from tricky situations but i'm a little concerned about tyrell his early exit from the match play really worries me he was my one and done pick last week so just didn't work out but he went 0-3 in the match play he didn't win a single match and he was videoed on the range very clearly in pain with his hand before his first match on Wednesday and that kind of concerns me a little bit and I don't really know unless I get like some interviews out of him this week that indicates that, like he's 100% good to go and he's here to win this golf tournament I kind of think he's playing this just as like a get right for the masters and doesn't particularly care if he wins it, you know, just going to play some golf and see how it goes and make sure his game's in the right spot for the masters. So I don't really fully hundred percent trust him, but I do think that he is the best golfer in the field where with how it currently stands. Now, Hideki Matsuyama is another guy that I really don't trust. He actually withdrew from this event on Thursday morning last year, which utterly screwed over anybody who had him in DFS. Um, if you weren't able to catch it in time and I kind of don't like how much golf he's playing. He's not playing a lot of golf. He's only played one non-elevated event in this calendar year. And I just don't really think you have a whole lot to bank off of when it comes to Hideki. And I think he's in the same boat as Tyrrell Hatton, where he's playing this as a get right for Augusta, not as a place where he wants to win. Now, the one thing he does have going for him is he's played this event one time and it was in a week before the Masters and it was a 30th place finish. So not terrible but not great I just I don't really trust it with Hideki this week Ricky Fowler is instead the guy that I'm probably going to be starting my DFS lineups with you know I mentioned that we already have the narrative with Ricky where he needs to win to play his way into the Masters but he's playing some really good golf lately he hasn't missed a cut since the Shriners Children's Open way back in last October now the match play he did not make it out of the group but what I did like is that he did beat John Rahm if you can beat one of the world's top two golfers in head-to-head -head over 18 holes you're playing some pretty good golf he also played well at the Genesis Invitational one of my comp courses he came in 20th 
20th earlier this year. And to me, he fits the profile well as a guy who has the short game to recover here. He is really good in the short game. And I, I just really like where Ricky's game's at. In terms of course history, he missed the cut here last year, but had a pair of T17s before that. So just everything to me kind of is trending in the right direction for Ricky Fowler. He might not win, but I definitely think he's the most likely out of any of the top guys to come in top 10, top five. Corey Connors is returning to the site of his only PGA Tour win in 2019. Quick side note, there was no 2020 Valero Texas Open, um, if you're trying to look that up. That was one of the events that was kind of passed over due to uh, COVID-19 happening in spring of 2020. Um, so it, we went straight from the 2019 edition to the 2021 edition. So there's actually only been two editions of this tournament since Corey Connors won it, and he's came in 14th and 35th in those two editions since that win in 2019. And I really think he fits the course pretty well. He's just an elite ball striker, and he's generally a terrible putter and when he finishes well in golf tournaments it's when you look at it at the end of the week and he was just average to above average with the putter and in his history here at this tournament he actually averages gaining 0.25 strokes per round on the putting greens at this course so you're looking at like this is like one of his best putting courses on tour and so i kind of think that that bodes well for Corey connor's I don't necessarily know if like I would bet him to win just because like he's Corey Connors and he doesn't win a lot of golf tournaments, but I definitely think that if there ever is a place for him to win, it is here where he's got good vibes as your previous champion and he definitely just needs a good putting week. Everything else is there for Corey Connors. Now, speaking of good putting weeks, Taylor Montgomery is a guy who really can have a spike week putting the golf ball. But the problem with him is he's statistically below average in driving accuracy and greens and regulation percentage. So he's not going to be giving himself as many opportunities for birdies and as many opportunities to gain strokes as other golfers. But if we end up with one of those weeks where it's really windy and the course plays really difficult and nobody's getting those birdie looks, does it even matter though? Like if all of those looks are for par, wouldn't you just want the guy who can hit all of those par putts? I think that would be Taylor Montgomery. So I don't know. I think that there's definitely winning upside from Taylor Montgomery, but because of his lack of ball striking, I definitely don't think he's a safe play by any means. And I don't think that that's necessarily the greatest fit at this course, but he is capable of getting hot with the putter and totally redeeming all of that. Siwoo Kim honestly feels like it could be a good course for him. Siwoo has a lot of courses on tour where it's good fits for him. He plays well year in, year out. And there is courses where he doesn't fit well and doesn't play well year in, year out. Now, at this event, here's what tracks with that. He's made five straight cuts, four of which are top 25s, and it peaked with a fourth when Corey Connors won it in 2019. So to me, this feels like a Siwoo course. I have no problem going to him in any format. Davis Riley is a guy that if you look at his recent form, it's really hard to figure out. It's kind of all over the place. But what I do know is that there was a professional golf event played here at TBC San Antonio in 2020 on the Corn Ferry Tour. And Davis Riley actually won that event. The runner-up was Taylor Pendrith. So maybe there's a little bit of good vibes here for Davis Riley, even though he did miss his only cut here at the Valero Texas Open here last season. Now, Chris Kirk is a guy that I really like this week, personally. Uh, he is elite-level course history here. He has four top eight finishes in the last eight editions of this tournament, and we also know that he has winning upside because he just won the Honda Classic uh, recently. So, um, and honestly, that was about the same quality of field as this tournament, too. So I really think things are looking up for Chris Kirk. I have no problem going to him in any format this week. 
Matt Kuchar also is another guy who has elite history here. He has a second, a 12th, and a 7th in his last three trips. He's a guy that seems to do well at all Texas courses, come to think of it. He made it out of the group at the match play last week, which is another event that he tends to play really well at. So I actually think this could be a week where we could go to Kuchar, even though the fact that this is a little bit of a longer course, it would seem to not set up that well for him, but it doesn't seem to have that effect in the past, so I definitely don't mind going back to him. Now, Ryan Fox is the type of player who could win this event by five shots or could already have missed the cut by 10 a.m. on Thursday. He is statistically the longest hitter in this field. However, he's also one of the least accurate. But what I do like about Ryan Fox is that he's played so much international golf that he should be used to windy conditions. He should be used to firm and fast conditions as well. So if the rough is not very penal, which it hasn't been in the history of this course, then all Ryan Fox really has to do to put himself at a big advantage is to not miss big. If he can just miss little and stay in the rough as opposed to missing big and ending up, you know, in trees or like in the kind of like desert type areas, then he's going to be okay. But if he does end up spraying it all over the place with the driver, you're going to be in for a long week, actually, I guess a short week with Ryan Fox in your DFS lineups. Lastly, J.J. Spawn is the defending champ here. However, he's coming in off of two missed cuts, but that's kind of deceptive because he did make it out of his group at the match play. I kind of like the idea of playing the defending champ. It, it clearly has set up well for him. He's clearly going to have good vibes coming in. Would not mind going to J.J. Spawn. All right, now at this point, let's go ahead and take a quick breather and let's talk about some possible value plays that can be had. The first value of note is Matt Wallace, who is actually coming off of his first PGA Tour victory at Corrales uh, for the Corrales Putacana Championship last week. And I kind of really, really like that coming in. That's also a long, windy golf course. That was one of the course comps that we had. Now, another thing that I like about Matt Wallace is TBC San Antonio is actually the site of his best finish on American soil. Prior to his win, he came in third in 2021 when Jordan Spieth won this event. So uh, to me, everything looks like a really good Matt Wallace week. The only question is, can he go back-to-back? -back? And really, the only debate for him not going back-to-back -back is that people don't go back-to-back -back very often. But Tony Finau did it last year, and I don't know if Matt Wallace is like that level of talent, but in this field, you don't really have to be that level of talent. I definitely think Matt Wallace gives you a lot of upside this week. Thomas Dietrich is a guy that I feel like we talk about here on this podcast every week, and every week he plays well and finishes well, but never really wins and honestly never really threatens to win. He just came in eighth at Corrales last week, and like I've said before, he's just a super talented golfer, really long off the tee, is also pretty accurate, really good ball striker, and he's an international guy, so we know he excels in windy conditions, which he showed at Corrales last week. So I just think everything profiles really well for Thomas Dietrich. He's a guy that I'm just going to keep plugging into my DFS lineups because eventually he's going to come through with that win, and he really doesn't miss a whole lot of cuts either. So there's very rare occasions where he actually kills you by having in his lineup. Or having you in or having him in your lineup. I messed the pronouns up there. Next up is Nikolai Hoygaard, who is coming off of a runner-up at Corrales last week. And he's also a guy who has some great finishes on the European tour, which I don't mind this week because when you think about strength of field, like this isn't that much of a stronger field than like a standard European tour event. Like obviously it's a little bit better at the top, but like the depth of this field is not super great. And I kind of think that it, it kind of comps well with some of the tournaments that he played in. And he should be able to play in the win given that he's an international golfer. So guy that's coming in hot with, you know, a track record at comp courses, I really like Nikolai Hoegaard coming in. 
Aaron Rye is another guy that I really like. I feel like his game is in a really good spot. Just in terms of how he profiles, he's a really good ball striker. He's got a really good short game, and he's an international guy who excels in all types of conditions. And he also plays really well at our comp courses. He was 29th at the Genesis Invitational this year and has two career top 10s at the Houston Open. So to me, Aaron Rye is actually one of my favorite plays in this little range that we're at. Bo Hostler is a Texas guy who is sure to go under-owned, in my opinion, because of his bad recent form. He's missed quite a lot of cuts recently, but he did finish fourth here last year, and we know the narrative with the Texas guy, so I definitely think that's worth mentioning, especially if you're somebody who plays large pool GPPs on DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, you can get Bo Hostler at a really low ownership rate. Nick Hardy and Gary Higo are both guys that are intriguing for me uh, for the same exact reason. Both of them have been playing good golf and playing well recently, but the problem is, is that both of them have been utterly terrible with the putter. And like, if they just have like one slightly above average week, then they're going to have a chance to win the golf tournament. And so I kind of wouldn't mind going to either of them and just hoping for some regression with the putter. Um, I don't necessarily think this you know, checks out as the best course fit for either of these two guys who tend to be kind of bombers off the tee. But I do think that, you know, the way they're playing, if they just hit a few more putts, they're going to have a really good week and they're going to give you some winning upside. Now, speaking of winning upside, I think Eric Cole's pretty much the same way. And we could very easily be talking about Eric Cole as the winner of the Honda Classic last month. And I think his salary would be a lot different on DraftKings and FanDuel than where it's at right now. But I'm kind of, my one concern about Eric Cole is that, you know, like we said with Hardy and Higo, he hasn't putted well, but like he hasn't really played well outside of the state of Florida. And so I'm kind of going with like a wait and see approach on Eric Cole. I definitely think he's worth watching this week because if he does finish well outside the state of Florida, I definitely have to consider him because he is one of those guys where when he actually just putts well, he's going to have, or he's going to give himself a chance to win the golf tournament. Lanto Griffin is a guy that I want to talk about. He's very boom or bust, low floor, high ceiling. Uh, he has not played much golf since returning from injury in this past calendar year, but he does have a win at one of my comp courses at the Houston Open, and he has never missed a cut here at TBC San Antonio. He's a guy that typically goes under-owned in DFS as well, so I definitely wouldn't mind going with Lanto this week. Kramer Hickok is a Texas guy who is coming off of five straight made cuts, which is you know, it might not sound like a whole lot, but for a guy who's on the fringe of the PGA Tour, that's pretty big, and he's playing some good golf right now. The one thing that he does have going against him, though, is that he has never made the cut at this event, so um, he would be in uncharted territory if he were able to make it out of the first two days. Now, DraftKings ended up being really interesting for me this week as I was looking through pricing because exactly $7,000 has three guys that I got to talk about, two of which have absolutely elite level course history. The first one is Kevin Streelman, who has an 18th, a 6th, and an 8th place finish here in his last three trips to this event. But wait, that's not even the best one. So the other guy that has great course history is Charlie Seymour Hoffman. I know that his middle name probably isn't Seymour, but it just fits. So anyway, Charlie Seymour Hoffman won this event in 2016, and then he also finished runner-up in 2019 and 2021. Now, the only downside is that like the only nick that he has on his course history is that he did miss the cut last year, and he's also not playing good golf right now. But if you're talking about just a pure course horse, he has the best history here at anybody, and so if you're really somebody that factors in a lot with course history, Charlie Seymour Hoffman is your guy this week. I, I know his middle name isn't Seymour, but I, just, just let me go with that, all right? Now, also, the other guy who is even $7,000 on DraftKings that I really like is Akshay Batia. To me, hey, he has the most upside per dollar of anybody in the field listed at even 7k i think it's in our like i could seriously make the argument for him to be in the 8k range uh so for akshay 
he's super talented, right? Like his ball, ball striking is just really good. We've talked to him on this po- podcast before how he hit all 18 greens in regulation at Pebble Beach in the same round, which is just an incredible stat when you consider that those are the smallest greens on the PGA Tour. Um, and he has the tendency to just absolutely catch fire for one round in every tournament that he plays in. Uh, he did it at Puerto Rico. He did it at Corrales. Like, he has that ability. And if he ever does it for a whole tournament, then he's just going to win a tournament by five strokes. Like, that's just what's going to happen. And, you know, everybody's going to crown him as golf's next big thing. So I think it's going to happen eventually. And I'm kind of willing to keep going to Akshay until he either, like, totally gets out of form with, like, three missed cuts or until he actually does it and starts getting super overpriced. But I think he's at a great price to plug in as a value play. I expect him to come in as one of the highest-owned golfers on DraftKings and FanDuel this week. Um, But like I said, it's for good reason. He's got a a ton of upside. He's got a ton of talent. And I really think that with how he's been playing, if he just has those, you know, catch-fire rounds, if he gets two in a tournament or three in a tournament, he's going to win the whole golf tournament. Now, heading down to the 6K range, Kazuki Higa is a guy that I like. He's an international player who's playing this as a tune-up for the Masters. And when you look at his kind of game log, he has some good finishes in some events that garnered some pretty tough fields. Like some of those European Tour events had the live guys in them, which means that it's you know generally a little bit higher quality from you know normal European Tour event. Um, and also, when you look at the official World Golf Rankings, I'm not saying it's a perfect metric. It's definitely a flawed ranking system. But his official World Golf Ranking dictates that he should be much higher priced for this tournament than he where he is on DraftKings at $6,900. Now, there's also a few Longhorns in the 6K range. Pearson Cootie is one of them. I'm not super interested in him, but I do want to talk about Doug Gim, who is coming off of two good finishes, and Dylan Fratelli, who has never missed the cut here and came in eighth last year. Dylan Fratelli, also a really good history at the match play at Austin Country Club. Maybe he's just super comfortable at Texas golf courses. Either way, he's a guy that I wouldn't mind having in my DraftKings lineups as the last guy in this week. Kevin Chappell is also a guy that I like in the 6K range. He's won this event in 2017, 2017, that is, Charlie Seymour Hoffman won it in 2016, and Chappell also has three state top 30s at weaker field events, which I would consider this one to be. Uh, And then there are three guys in the 6K range that I'm not going to go into a deep detail, but their recent form definitely merits mentioning here in this section, and that is Matthias Schwab. No, Matthias Schwab, not Matthias Schmid. There's two of them. There's a difference, I promise. And then there is Michael Kim and Carson Young. Of those three, I really like Michael Kim. I think he profiles the best. Um, But those are definitely three guys that if you're willing to throw darts in the 6K range, those are three darts that are worth throwing. All right, so from there, let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then let's talk about some one-and-done strategy. All right, so let's talk one and done for the Valero Texas Open. So this week, it would be kind of what I described for the... Um, Honda Classic about a month ago, and what I described for Corrales last week, if you are one and done, did the Corrales Punta Cana. This is a bombs away week, meaning you can pretty much pick whoever you want without any thought that you're going to regret it for like wanting to use that guy later down the road. The only guy I could see maybe using down the road will be Tyrrell Hatton. Um, but for me personally, in the two one and dones I'm in, I used him at the Arnold Palmer, which was a pretty good pick in all honesty. Um, and then I used him at the match play in one of my one and dones last week as well. So I can't even use Tyrrell Hatton. Um, truth be told, in the two one and dones that I'm in, I had Tyrrell Hatton in one of them last week. And then the other one at the match play, I had Victor Hovland, which was a major ouch because I had originally said it to Cam Young and talked myself out of it and then switched over to Victor Hovland. So instead of getting the guy that comes in runner up at an elevated event, I get a guy that comes in, I believe, last in his group and just 
didn't give me anything. So a little bit disappointing, but hey, at least I wasn't one of the people that, you know, picked John Rahm at the match play and ended up with a zero out of John Rahm as opposed to Victor Hovland. So um, anyway, looking ahead to this week, like I said, you're not going to want to pick any of these guys later on in the season. So just pick the guy you think has the best chance to win. For me, I'm probably going to go with Ricky Fowler, if I'm being honest. Not only does it provide a great narrative if Ricky wins this week and plays his way into the Masters, but I think just everything's shaping up for him. He's got great recent form coming in. Uh, he's playing some really good golf. He profiles really well for the course as a guy who is a top-level ball striker, can play well in the wind, and has an above-average short game. I think everything is just shaping up for Ricky this week. I think if I were to talk myself out of Ricky Fowler, I'd probably be going with Chris Kirk. He's a guy that has elite-level history at this event. He's shown winning upside in the past month and a half, and I kind of just like where his game's at. I think he might be the guy that I would pick um, aside from Ricky Fowler. If you're looking further down the board, if you're looking to be a little contrarian, you got defending champ JJ Spawn. I would have no problem going back to. Um, and then I think Thomas Dietrich is worth mentioning as well because he's just a guy that I think is going to break through for a win at some point. And it's most likely going to be at one of these weaker field events as opposed to an elevated event. So um, I definitely think he's another guy to look for as well. But like I said, I'm probably going to be rolling with Ricky Fowler this week. All right, so that does it for the Valero Texas Open 2023 preview. Um, as promised, 30 minutes or less, we were able to do that again this week. You will not find a better fantasy golf preview uh, under 30 minutes. So if you were here for DFS betting or one and done, um, hopefully you got exactly the information you needed. And hopefully um, all the advice on here will help you win some money this week. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast. I promise it really helps me out a lot. And hit that subscribe button while you're there as well. You'll get notified when new episodes drop and you will be there and notified when we drop our final four college basketball DFS episode tomorrow night. And when we drop all of our master's content next week, we are going to be doing a lot for one of my favorite weeks of the year. It is almost master's week. All right. So that does it for this episode, guys. Best of luck to you in all your endeavors this week, whether it's DFS betting or one and done. Thank you guys for listening and I will see you guys next time.